if in prosperity God can't get through to us, they're like, well, well, I'll just have to try something a bit more drastic. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me, we have Eric. Hello. And we have Karen. It's a little wonky for us tonight. We're we're recording at a different time than usual. Eric's got something kind of cool planned for our regular recording time. I won't begrudge him too much for disrupting the entire flow of everything. (laughs) 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 Eric, you want to tell them what you're going to be doing? Because it does sound, like I said, it sounds um, it sounds simultaneously fun and miserable. Yeah, I'm going to uh, do a, do a cross country ski training trip uh, because I'm uh, getting in shape training, doing a shakedown for what we call a hut trip. I live I live in Colorado, and we do basically think of backpacking in the high Colorado mountains, except it's going to be on anywhere from I don't know three to six feet of snow, and we use cross country skis to climb up the mountains and uh, stay in a hut. Uh, hut slash house. It's it's not too uh, crude, but uh, right about tree line. So it is it's a little better, over eleven thousand feet. So it's not the kind of thing you just go from sedentary to uh, put on a backpack and go six miles up the side of a mountain in the winter. So I'm doing a little training for that. Yeah, I, I do have I do have a question about it. Sure. Now. In my experience, skis are slippery on the bottom. So why would you put skis on to go up a hill? Uh, yes, these are cross-country touring skis. They have kind of fish scale things in the middle uh, on the bottom. And so when you kick down, it grips the snow and you can kind of kick back. But given how steep a lot of the uh, trip is, you put a thing called skins on the bottom of your skis. They used to be made out of uh, beaver hides back in the day. These are synthetic and they all have little tiny hairs that point backwards. And so they slide when you, when you slip your ski forward. And then when you push your ski back, the entire bottom of your ski grips into the snow. My goodness. I didn't even know any of that existed. I just was like, they're going backwards. No, you're supposed to put the skis on when you go flat or down. Think of them at that point as really long, uh, somewhat slidable, Snowshoes. Great. Yeah. 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 Well, the logic there is sort of like sailing into the wind. I've never figured out how that science works. uh, I'm a land lover, so you you can't fault me too much for not understanding the aerodynamics of of, uh, ship sails. But uh, yeah, training is probably very important. I tried to do a backpacking trip with my son it was a backpack a uh, boy scout backpacking trip and i'm like yeah i live in colorado i'll be fine oh, i was I, I almost died <laughs> some some guys from Colorado or uh, uh iowa came in i thought oh I'll, I'll i'll outdo all these iowa guys no no problem and i think we were probably five miles into the hike and i was thinking oh this is gonna be bad <laughs> fortunately so my you're saying living at altitude and working out isn't the same thing? It's not the same thing. No, <laughs> not at all. But fortunately, my knees gave out before my lungs did. So I, you know, 
I had to I had to back out for other reasons, but uh, yeah, I was it was fun, but I was I was absolutely miserable. I couldn't I was so out of shape and I mean my yeah, my knees were on fire and I couldn't I felt sorry for all those Cub Scouts that had to carry you out on sticks, right? <laughs> I was I was picturing him in a wheelchair waving a white flag and making the kids push him, but I wasn't sure how accurate that was. <laughs> well, it's uh, you know, Sam, how long ago was this? My son would have been oh, 15 or 16. So it's been a little while, but um, you know, I'm telling him the last day I was just like I can't do it. You know, my knees were just shot. I was just I can't I can't go anymore. Unfortunately, it was a sort of trip where we kind of had a base where we just say it was like you guys are just going to have to go without me that last day and you know, and Xander is just saying, "No, Dad, you have to go. You have to make it." I said, "No, you don't understand. I cannot do it. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it." So, yeah, that was probably my last, my last backpacking trip like that, which is unfortunate because I enjoyed doing it. But anyway, uh, let's get into our discussion here on this this balmy Friday night. <laughs> aren't we? Aren't we the party animals? But um. We are studying this week Jeremiah chapter eight chapters eighteen through twenty-two. And as you'll recall, we're in a time period when at this point Israel is gone. Uh the nation of Judah is still around, but it's on its last leg. And uh there Jeremiah is has been delivering messages to them to you know, messages of repentance, but messages of coming judgment. And um, he's been pretty straightforward with it, that things are not going to go well for Judah here. So um, I have a Bible with that has a timeline in the center column, you know, best mm-hmm. you know, scholars, best guess as to when things are happening. And mm-hmm. they put chapter 18 as being roughly in the year 605 BC. So that's kind of where we're at. Okay, 605. So, yeah, this is definitely getting towards the it's interesting because we're starting to get towards the end of Old Testament stuff here because there's a pretty good gap of time between Old Testament and New Testament. And it seems like there's just a lot happening right here towards the end. And and we're, you know, the stuff we're talking about, it's it's all kind of simultaneous. Not exactly. There's not much time left for the nation of Israel as we've been following them for, you know, for, for quite a while now. So chapter 18, it starts with uh, some imagery that we ought to be familiar with because it pops up in a lot of places in the Bible. And Jeremiah is directed to watch a potter at his wheel. And I don't know, have either of you guys ever done pottery like this? Um, Tried. It's, a heck of a lot harder than it looks. You'd think it's like, oh, that's going to be simple. It's not as simple as it looks. Yeah. What about you, Karen? You tried it? Uh, it reduces me to helpless cussing, so I try to stay away from it. <laughs> I think I tried it. I think I tried it back in high school, and it's, you know, once you get it, it is, it is harder than it looks because you think you're just going to be able to make it do whatever you want to. And yeah. <laughs> clay kind of, you know, it starts going. And if it gets a little off balance, it's just if you don't end up with it all over yourself, you end up with something <laughs> that looks absolutely nothing like what you were hoping for, you know, it, but it can be kind of fun. But like we've all kind of experienced here that that clay will do just about anything except for what you want it to. And, and so the pots pots go bad 
all the time, even for professional potters. And all they can do is smash it down and start again. And so when Jeremiah sees this happen, God is telling him, well, this is this is uh, this is Israel. Israel is like this potter's clay and God's going to reshape them. You know, and God pulls rank in this, you know, and, and he says, starting in verse six, he says, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Mm-hmm. You know, like clay in the hand of a potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at mm-hmm. any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he basically just claims rights. I thought it was interesting that he, God says this that he would relent of the good he had intended to do to it. That was a really interesting turn mm-hmm. of, of a phrase. You know, again, he's he's God's been saying over and over, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming, this is going to happen. And if I'm not skipping ahead, verse 12 is, I guess it's shocking, but it isn't because... We've seen it in, they say, the people say, that is in vain. We'll follow our own plans. And will everyone, according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart, will act according to the stubbornness of our heart. We saw this in Jeremiah 11, 8, 13, 10, and 16, 12. It's not the last place we're going to see it either. Is this idea that, um, well, we're just going to kind of just do our own thing here. And we've talked about it before in the book of Judges. When it said everybody's just going to do what feels good to them, that's that's a terrible plan. And and I will say, it's easy to point our fingers at Old Testament folks, but this is this still happens today, mm-hmm. all the time. The pro- the proverbs, uh, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. <laughs> mm-hmm. Leaps to mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and you know what when they're saying those kind of things, this comes right after God pretty much directly says something that we've been saying here a lot, which is you know the if then aspects of of God's covenant. Mm-hmm. you know if you will do this, I will do that. If you won't do this, then you know then that this is going to happen. Uh, you know, God's is like, yes, I may have promised you something, but if you aren't going to uh, you know, if you're not going to follow the things I tell you, then I'm not going to do that. And and I think this is maybe the most direct case of a statement like that that I can remember seeing where, you know, sometimes it's it, it seems like it it comes around that way. But but this time it's God actually actually saying it very specifically and very directly. And it's uh, kind of like it's it's almost like it's a a bit of a last ditch warning that he's giving them to return before he has to follow through with these plans of disaster that he's been telling them. Cause he's been telling them through, through Isaiah, through, I think, you know, Nahum, all these other prophets we've been listening to. And now Jeremiah, he's been telling them disasters coming. I have disaster coming for you. But even now he's saying, if you'll turn around, I won't make it happen. Are they going to change God's mind? No. You know, I mean, he knows what's going to happen. And so so I think maybe that's probably why he's being so, uh, so direct at this point and saying that he's not going to back up. 
poor Jeremiah, did he ever get to deliver good news? Like, I just need I just need to keep an ear out and as we read through this thing, because it just seems like everything he has to say is so miserable. Well, yeah, I mean, it really he really is right there at the end, you know, the end of Judah's time. There, I mean, what would there be good to say other than maybe to individuals or, you know, I mean, I guess there's maybe there's some promise of of coming back, you know, or a remnant coming back someday. But for the most part, he's just got to say, sorry, dudes, you're going down. You know, it's it's I guess I'm constantly surprised by who's listening all the time in in many ways. And it's one of the one of the few things that just kind of keeps me going on some of these areas as a former teacher. uh, It's one of the one of the lessons that stuck with me as I as I realized that as a teacher, I thought I knew who was paying attention. But time would show that I didn't. I was a very poor judge of who was paying attention. There'd be people in the front row nodding their heads and smiling and inside, I, whatever, they were just frolicking on the beach or, you know, playing in the mm-hmm. sun. They were not in class. And there were other people in the back who was pretty obvious. You could see them goofing around and, and being, you know, making noise and making trouble. They were the ones who were actually listening and retaining and, you know, in, in, their, in their head participating. They weren't mm-hmm. on the outside. And we watched a version of Jonah over New Year's. And it really struck me how absolutely, totally unlikely it was that Nineveh would repent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's so far-fetched. It's, why, why would you even talk to those people? What a completely lost cause. And yet that's what God does. He, he presents an opportunity to repent to completely lost causes. And Nineveh did repent. And I'm, I'm certain that some we're not given an outline of a lot of people here did in fact repent and did in fact follow or, or stuck through and did the right thing. Because remember when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show up in, in Babylon, they lived through this. Mm-hmm. You know, they came out of this. So it wasn't everybody in Jerusalem that was, uh, that went down in flames, but God is constantly, constantly reaching out to people even when the case to us seems hopeless and we're like, yeah, they're never going to listen. Now, spoiler alert, they didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Judah did not listen. They did not repent as a nation and they did suffer all these things. I find it fascinating that Jeremiah presents this truth to them and their response is in 12, we'll follow our own plans and everyone act according to the stubbornness of his own heart. And then he goes on again. He's like, you guys, like this is nobody's ever heard of such a terrible thing that you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't mm-hmm. do it. And then they say in verse 18, let's make a plot against Jeremiah. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not pay attention to any of his words. And, you know, I guess a younger me would have said, no way would people be that hard headed about stuff. <laughs> and the me in 2022 says, yeah, I see it. Mm-hmm. I totally any of any day of the week in any town in any country. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. The the part about this that made me the most, I guess I'll use the word sad here, is that God is saying, you know, if you guys will stop, if you'll turn around, I'll relent. And they basically go, yeah, well, that's hopeless. 
<laughs> they're like, well, we're not going to, we're not going to change anything. You know, there's no, there's no way this can happen. So we're not even going to try. For yeah. many years, I worked in the legal field and I remember doing a sentencing once and the judge was talking to the defendant and this was, okay, so in Colorado, marijuana became legal in, I don't remember what year, it seems like it was 2012, but um, whatever year it was, this was the following year. So marijuana was legal for recreational use, right? So here comes this this guy, young guy, and he he's going to... He's being sentenced and he's going to get a probation order. And the the judge is explaining to him how the probation order works. And when he, when he gets to the part where he says to the young man, and this is, you can't abuse any substances. You will be required to provide random UAs up to four times a week. And that will be for alcohol and drugs. And then he was specific because of the law of the land. He was specific. He said, and that includes smoking marijuana. And the kid, and the kid goes, I'm, I'm sorry, Your Honor. Did you say I can't smoke marijuana? And he says, no, I know that it's legal in the state, but federally it's still illegal. And so if you're on probation, you cannot smoke marijuana. And he goes, okay, I don't want the probation order then. Just send me to jail. Oh, man. Yep, just like that. And I was like, mm, I thought of that when I was reading through this tonight. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, we can't go without marijuana. Just send us to jail. It's fine. Mm. Mm. We're not We're not going to give up something small thing that we like that would make the difference. Just put us in jail. Well, I mean, that really is kind of the attitude they have here. Like, well, I'm, we're not going to change. So I guess, uh, I guess we're going to be destroyed. We're not only that, is that they decide to take out their frustration and anger on the messenger. Yeah. So it's not just like they say, oh, never mind. They're like, we don't want to hear this. We do not want to hear the truth. And so much we do not want to hear the truth. We will we'll start, uh, you know, attacking you. I guess I'm waiting for the day when here, when somebody gets on the news and says, oh, there's a tornado coming or there's a hurricane. They're like, you know what? Let's 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 uh, let's burn that weather weatherman's car. We don't <laughs> like that kind of news. I'm like, that. that like that isn't going to change the weather, right? They're, they're just actually trying to help you by telling you this, but that's that's how as people. I mean, this again apparently is a very old problem, and it has not gone away. But it's happening to Jeremiah, even though. And this is an interesting thing. Well, I, I won't do the spoiler alert. We'll keep going on it. But they know <laughs> what they're doing. This is not done in ignorance. I'll say that. Yeah, they don't. They don't want to listen to Jeremiah. They they want to. I mean, they start to plot against him. And the way they put the put it is almost like you know we. How did they put it? They said something along the lines of the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. It's like they're saying, yeah, we've you know we've got enough information to go on. We don't need him. We don't need him. We're gonna we're, we're fine. And I was interested in Jeremiah's response then because we get into nineteen through twenty three. He kind of gets very specific about things he'd like to see God do to these people. And, you know, I'm trying to decide what, as I'm listening to this, is is he wanting God to maybe deal too harshly? Or is he just kind of speaking in line with the things that God has said? Because, I mean, he's talking about deliver them to famine and the sword and don't don't turn your wrath away and and tells them deal with them in the time of your anger. Yeah, these are all things that God specifically said he would do, too. I, I think yeah. 
I think Jeremiah's like, yeah, do it. Because he's, I mean, we'll, we'll get going in here. And in 20, there's a really famous line dealing with his, his struggle. Basically, 19, as I summed it up, was here is why disaster is coming. You know, it, it's just he outlines it again. He starts it with a metaphor. You know, he goes and buys a pot and he smashes it. And they're like, yeah, well, this is going to be you guys. And it's because, and then he outlines some becauses. Uh, and in 19, it's two specific ones. One is that um, they have worshipped other gods who are false gods. And that's one that we've heard over and over and over and over and over and over from basically all of the prophets. And then we see that they have burned their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. And there's an interesting thing here. It says, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Yeah. Which puts, you know, that informs the story of Jephthah. And it tells me that the story of God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac was not, it was not a human sacrifice request. It was a test Mm -hmm. that God had no intention of this being a human sacrifice at any point. It was an intense test of Abraham because God saying that that's not, that is not part of what I want. Never even came to my mind. And then I thought there was an interesting, um, line in here where it says in uh, verse four, because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence. And I think that there's lots of ways we can find application for that, but both in their time, as well as in our time, the idea of sacrificing other people to our gods. Mm. It's pretty easy to point the finger at them and go, oh, yeah, that Baal worship. I mean, who would do that? Uh, You know what? But I have seen and heard people who say, yeah, I don't care if that costs other people money or their health or their life. As long as I get to do what I want to do, I'm just going to do it. Don't care. Mm. And it's a little bit of a scary thing because that kind of attitude, that sends Judah into a fatal tailspin. Yeah, sometimes that th- those things can be more deliberate. Sometimes they can be more passive. But yeah, yeah. You know, when we just are willing to let other people suffer for no other reason than for our personal benefit. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's so, so many. I mean, there's so many ways we could apply that. And of course, I want to apply that to all the ways that doesn't put me under the spotlight. But. <laughs> But the fact is, I mean, it's just like, well, if if we as consumers knowingly consume products that cause other people to suffer, well, you know, that's like, c- come on, where's, ah, you know, where am I culpable in some of this stuff? If, if I have to have the newest, latest, greatest fill in the blank thing and that causes other people to to suffer, it's like, man, I don't know. That's. And I guess what I'm saying is, is that it's easy to point fingers at those people mm-hmm. and say, oh, pff, yeah, they, those guys did all that stuff. Well, I would never do that. And I think what it boils down to is it's, it's either God first in everything or it's me first. Kind of. I mean, that's, that's, that's the two choices I see here in Jeremiah as I keep reading. It's, it's, it's God's way, and we're going to surrender to it and say, 
your, your way, man. You, you, it's you, all you. Or it's going to be my way and then substitute whatever particular flavor of way that is. Yeah, and the fact that it's gotten so pervasive here in in Judah, you know, even in the promised land, the chosen people, the uh, supposed children of God, and it's so pervasive here that God can't do anything except for smash the clay or break the pot and and uh, just try to have a do-over. It's... Yeah, it's, it reminded me, I, I know this isn't on as grand of a scale in, in many ways, but it reminded me of right before the flood. Mm-hmm. Knows the flood, you know, where where God said, you know, and it says um, God repented that He had made man. Yeah, He's, and it's been a while since He's had to do a do over like this. I think we're past due. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> you know, because we've seen yeah, we've seen a few do overs. There's, yeah, and uh, that's again, it's the it's the message of Revelation. If you read Revelation, there is there's a lot of calling to repentance in that book. And I think we're in a tough place when we can either look around a society and say, oh, I don't really see a lot that really needs fixing or just as scary, but probably more honest when we look in the mirror and say, oh, I don't think I see anything here that needs work. That's, I think we've lost sight of who God is. And I've been, I don't know, it's just been a convicting thing to me the last few weeks going through Jeremiah here that it is it is with with God. It is it's all God and he'll lead and he, he'll give us plenty of freedom or he lets us do our own thing. And we worship. Basically ourselves first, and then in so doing, we put whatever other thing it is out there between us and God. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, Jeremiah 20 then goes into it's kind of a more direct message to a particular person goes to a guy named, I think his name would be Pashur. He is a priest. He's a governor in the temple. And God, oh, he, he, uh, this guy, Pashur, he decides to, he's going to take some matters in his hands. He strikes Jeremiah, I guess, you know, actively like hits him probably in the face, you know, and puts him in the stocks. You know, this is a, this this is a a priest of God who is who is now actively punishing a a a prophet of God and God doesn't like that and I think maybe it speaks a little to us of uh, how we should be reacting if you know prof- if it, to, to to prophetic messages where uh, God tells this guy. He's, he starts. He calls him. I'm going to probably butcher this. Megor Misabib, and that sounds terrible. But um, he says, "I'm not going to call you Pashur anymore. I'm going to call you Megor Misabib." And Pashur, I looked up, means liberation. And the other words that I'm not going to try to say again means a fright from around. So you know, this guy who literally his name meant essentially freedom and he's acting against what God is trying to do for their freedom. And he says, you're going to, 
You are going to be a terror to yourself and all your friends. So that's why he calls him Megor Mizabib. Yeah, my, the ESV calls him terror on every side. Yes. There you go. There you mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he's uh, going to have it from everywhere. I mean, he is a terror. He's going to be. I, I was kind of taking a second that it's going to be. He will a bit of it be terrorized even by his friends. But it's interesting yeah. that uh, the, the prophecy against Pashur in uh, chapter 20, verse 6 is, um, you know, and you, Pashur, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity to Babylon. You shall go, and there you shall die, and there you shall be buried, and you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. Yeah. Again, we get this false prophet thing the idea that there's only. Like, well, if they're prophesying, it's got to be from God. It's like, no, no, that's, we've really got to be listening, you know, or is what people are saying consistent with what God has been saying. And God has not been prophesying peace and safety for Judah. And uh, it, it gets, it's rough. Well, and he's starting to get a little more personal here. Because as we go through a lot of our reading, a lot of these messengers seem to be very directly to specific people. And I'm guessing that probably these are specific people who have been misleading, uh, misleading the nation. You know, if this guy was a priest and governor, he's obviously an authority figure and somebody that people would listen to. And now God is is kind of getting up in his face, getting in his business and like pointing a finger right in his chest and saying, you're going to go to Babylon. You're going to die in Babylon. You're going to be buried there. Your friends are going to be buried there. You, Pashur, or Megor Misabib. So uh, I find that kind of interesting, where as things are winding down, the way that God is kind of singling out particular people for being at, at the fault of, you know, in, in their part of what's happening to the nation. Yeah, I find it interesting. So, the 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 uh, my the way my Bible is laid out, it takes a dramatic shift in the format of chapter twenty. One through six is paragraph form, mm-hmm. and then seven and forward, at least on this page, is in poetic form. Yeah, for the rest of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first part is kind of a little bit of a story. Is it's is it's Jeremiah talking to Pashur? Pashur, the ESV says, beat Jeremiah the prophet. And then seven and on is Jeremiah talking to God. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the song, uh, I'm in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Jeremiah is not singing that song. No, <laughs> no. And I think, uh, not, to, not to beat this up too much, but I also think that we do a little bit of disservice to our fellow Christians when we say, well, if you're a Christian and Jesus died for you, you'll be happy all the time. And it's like, Mm -hmm. sometimes there's badness afoot and Mm -hmm. it is not always fun to call it out. And Jeremiah is basically, he's talking to God and saying, I'm tired of this. Like all I have, like we mentioned earlier is that, um, he has bad news. And Jeremiah is telling God that. He's like, yeah, you deceived me. And I was deceived. You're stronger than I am and you prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. 
this is Jeremiah talking mm-hmm. to God, you know, mm-hmm. for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak of him anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Mm-hmm. That's where we get the idea of like there's a fire in my bones. This is it. Right mm-hmm. here. This was I think this right here is where that metaphor was born and where it came from. Maybe it preceded this, but it Jeremiah is saying, I don't want to keep saying all this bad stuff. And when I try to hold it in and not say it, I can't not say it. I have to do it. And it's this is just it's torture for Jeremiah. Yeah. Have either of you have either of you ever been in a situation where you absolutely knew the Holy Spirit was pushing you to say something? Once. I don't know. I guess if, you, since I don't know, then I'm going to have to say not specifically. It, I, I have a few times, and it's work to shut your mouth on it. Like, it, it's hard to close your mouth and not let it out. Like, there's this internal push, like, you can't even believe. The only thing I can compare it to is the physical experience of being in labor, where your entire body wants to bear down. And it's just it. I feel so I feel so bad for him. He has such a hard life, you know. He's like his head doesn't want to say this stuff. Like these are his people, and he loves them, and he's tired of being rejected, and he's tired of being ridiculed, and he he just wants to. Have, and this has been since he was a kid, and he just wants to have a normal life. He can't even sit around and talk to people, and he's like, I'm just not going to mention it. I'm going to speak not going to speak anything else. And then he feels like his bones catch fire. You know, I mean, like, Mm. I don't know. It's just, that was, that's very powerful imagery to me. And I've had the Holy Spirit on me a few times pushing me to say something. And it's a push. Like for Mm -hmm. me, when I experience it, it is a push. I Mm -hmm. know. Yeah, I keep hoping that as I grow older and hopefully wiser, I guess I'll let other people judge that, but that times, because I mean, can I say that I know there have been times when the spirit has been prodding me to speak? Yes, but I also know there's been times where I, you know, put up a wall and and either did or didn't do it for whatever reasons, you know, oh, it's just going to be too uncomfortable or I'm afraid or, or you know, I don't want to. I don't want to hurt feelings, you know, those kind of things. And afterwards, you always know very specifically that you screwed up, yeah. you know, you know, and you feel terrible. You're like, I know I should have said something there. It would have been fine or God would have worked it out. You know, maybe no, maybe we wouldn't have walked away happy, but I know my heart would feel better if I would have just spoken right then, you know. Yeah. Anyway, and, I really, really sympathize and empathize with what jeremiah is saying here it's like he's got all the all the everyday social normal human human reasons not to speak out but when Mm -hmm. he tries he's got god on him yeah and it's a great example for us and others it shows a few things that one serving god doesn't always bring you sunshine and rainbows and puppies or what's the There's a commercial out there, something right now, sunshine, rainbow puppy pie or something like that. I don't know. You know, all these things all mixed up together to be really, really great and good. 
and it's not always that you know sometimes it's hard sometimes you don't want to do it and and it's uh it's really it's to it's to jeremiah's credit that he continues on and it's a great example for us that with those times when we just don't really want to do the thing that god has asked us to do if we can just move forward that's better because i was really was i was looking at it i was like jeremiah doesn't want to do this he really doesn't but he can't help it it's like mm-hmm. i just I, I have to i have to do this and uh but yeah just being able to admit i don't want to do it but i'm gonna do it yeah i think we just i think we, it's a good reminder that when you read read jeremiah 20 14 to 18 this is not in right outright upright downright happy all the time um he says cursed be the day on which i was born why did i come out of the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame so i guess my point is to say that if you, as a listener, or, or I, feel like, oh, man, things are not going well. I just do not feel good about this. It doesn't mean we're defective. And it doesn't mean that that um, that life should always be all those other things. Like this, ha- this is Jeremiah. He's got a book in the Bible for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. This is, this guy's not a fail. And yet he struggled with, I guess, what we would perhaps call depression, you know, certainly Certainly he's struggling, and um, God didn't give up on him, and Jeremiah didn't give up on the people around him, even though I find it incredibly hard to believe that he that he could talk to these people with a straight face, because ch- chapter 21 starts up, Zedekiah sent to him Pashur. This is the same guy that beat him up and put him in the stocks, and they show up and say, hey, can you give us any word from God? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't believe the guy didn't say, wait a minute, aren't you the guy? No, take a hike. Mm-hmm. You know, now the word that Jeremiah tells him is not happy news because it's the truth and they need to hear it. But and that's why I guess I said earlier in the in the uh, in the in the podcast, uh, spoiler alert, these people like including Pashur, they know what they're doing. It isn't like they're ignorantly, innocently rejecting God's guidance. They know what they're doing, because when Pashur shows up, they say, what does God say? Because they know Jeremiah is speaking for God. They they know they don't want to hear it. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it'll be better this time. Let's go back and ask again. Yeah, that's kind of their their, their way they get at it. Like, well, maybe God will make Nebuchadnezzar go away. You know, let's go, let's go talk to Jeremiah and we'll see. Maybe God will make him go away this whole time. God has been going, no, I'm not making Nebuchadnezzar go away. Yeah. I thought that was very, very interesting that he sends, sends these guys to him. The message that he sends from Jeremiah, you know, they're, they're saying maybe, maybe God will turn Nebuchadnezzar away. And the message that God gives him is, is really interesting. He says, I'm going to turn back your weapons. I'm going to fight against you myself. Zedekiah will be delivered to Nebuchadnezzar and killed by the sword. Very direct. I mean, there again, finger in the chest. And uh, <laughs> just interesting. Maybe may, may, maybe God will turn him away. Nope. Nope. I'm going to turn you away. I'm going to fight you myself. Yeah, there's no poetry in that. It's like, it's mm-hmm. a straight up. 
Yeah. Yeah, we really haven't seen it as direct as as this. I don't remember seeing anything quite this direct when uh, like Isaiah was talking or speaking to Israel on God's behalf. I wonder maybe if it's because Judah kind of got a bit of a reprieve compared to uh, Israel because they were just, a, you know, they were a little better. They, they, they hadn't quite fallen quite so far, but they have been given this little bit of extra time where the Assyrians didn't, you know, God turned the Assyrians away. And so that should have been like a warning to them. And now they're like in their second chance. And, but now God is having to get, uh, get right up in their faces. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's no mystery. It's like, the, I don't know if you've ever heard of the game or played the game clue. Oh yeah. Yes. You know, they're getting called out. It's Nebuchadnezzar from the North with a sword. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> this is how it's going to go down just like this. And I and think that's after, and that's after plague and famine. Like we got everything going on here. Yeah. Oh, and cannibalism. I mean, it's, it's super ugly. It's, and but I think it's interesting that even in spite of this, in the midst of all this, there's verse eight, and to this people you shall say, God is saying, this is my message, deliver it. Thus says the Lord: Behold, I set before you the way of life, and the way of death. He who stays in the city shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging. You shall live and have your life as a prize of war. I mean, just even at this point, it's like, okay, you're circling the drain right now, and you're just about to go down. You have a choice. You can either die or you can live. Here's how you do this. Mm-hmm. Black and white right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he pulls no punches. This, the city will be given to Babylon. It will happen. And like we've talked about many, many, many times before, if God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. And he is very specific about it here. He gives a bit of a message then to the house of David. So the leadership, if you will, to execute judgment, deliver the oppressed. It says to keep my fury from burning. I am against you. You ask, who shall come down against us? And God's like, me? Oh, no. <laughs> right. Yeah, because, you know, that's kind of the position they're in, where they're just kind of going, you know, they've thought they were invincible, I guess. Is, this where, says, is this where he says, I swear by myself? He says that at one point in these chapters, and I just started laughing. It's like, I thought of us, you know, going into court and taking an oath. And it's like, I solemnly swear, you know, to tell the whole thing. And, you know, you put your hand, so help me God, right? And then mm-hmm. he's like, I swear by myself. It's like, mm, okay. Yeah. No, I don't think it was here, but yeah, I did notice that somewhere in here too, where, yeah, if God is swearing by himself, it, uh, it sort it sounds sort of humorous to us, but at the same time, what higher authority can he, can he right. swear by? But when they're, when they're saying, well, who could come up against us? God is just like me. Here I am. I, I'm going to punish you. He's, it's just so much direct speech and there can be no question you know i will appoint i will punish you according to the fruit of your doings what do you say to that you know i don't i don't know i I don't know i don't know how you could speak against it i don't know how oh 
these these situations always have me wondering where I would have landed at the time. You know, would I have been really desperately trying to keep my comfortable position? Would I have, you know, whatever authority I had to to flaunt or utilize or whatever? Would I be able, have been willing to lay it down, humbly recognize my faults, uh, leave Jerusalem, you know, or would I have wanted to dig my heels in and and try to stick it out and just see how it was really going to play out? You know, I don't know. I ne- I never know how you how I would have fared in these things, and so I guess it's always a reminder of me not to judge others too badly because you just don't know if you were in the same situation yep. where you would where you would wind up. So uh, if we go into Jeremiah twenty two, then. God's got a message going to the king. And here again, it, it, you know, it's like he's he's trying to get the message across, I think. If you would do the good things that I've told you to do, if you would, if you'll do them. And here, it, you know, it sort of almost sounds like there's still opportunity for this to turn around. Even though God has said, I'm going to make it happen. It will happen. Babylon is going is going to take Jerusalem. But here he says, uh, if you'll do the things you're commanded, then glorious kings are going to sit on the throne of David. This is my interpretation of things here. And, you know, he does gives kind of more specific things, you know, deliver the plundered from the hand of the oppressor. It says, do wrong, do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. So all the things they've been doing and God is saying, just do the opposite of that and and there will be good or maybe it's more like if you guys would have done this there would be kings glorious kings sitting on the throne but then he says if not then the house of the king of judah will become desolation i think it's interesting that there's been a lot of call like hey don't worship false gods and so on like this and it it would be we could be tempted to say it's just all spiritual things God just wants everybody just to acknowledge him, and that's kind of where it all boils down to, right? Mm-hmm. But what's happening here is that this is a very practical do. Don't just say you believe this or, or you know, theorize about this thing. You have to do it. You have to do these things, and the things that he's asking them to do are things he's always asked people to do. You know, is it do no wrong or violence to the resident alien? to the fatherless and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place. You know, it it sounds like verse 12 of uh, chapter 21, execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. So it's it's saying you need to do justice and you need to do justly. But in five, but if you will not obey these words, uh, and you're right, you're right. Where was that, Karen? I swear by myself. (laughs) <laughs> it's in verse five. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Then this is this is all gonna this is all going to happen. And again in, in 15, you know, he says, do justice and righteousness, and then it will be well with him. Uh, he he judged the cause of the poor and needy, then it was well. Is this is not this to know me, declares the Lord. I find it very interesting. He's saying basically, if you know me. You're going to do justice and righteousness. 
I think that's a really interesting thing because in the New Testament, some of the parables that Jesus says, when people show up and he says to those people, yeah, away from me, I never knew you. Yeah. That's like, those are the worst words in the New Testament. Yeah. You do not want to be the one who hears those words because you're thinking, oh, well, I thought I was in. I thought I was like, you know, like the people of Judah, you know, the, what was it? The uh, temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord we read about. Mm-hmm. Like they would say this is a chant, like that's some kind of magic thing. And God is saying here, if you know me, you'll do justice and righteous righteousness. I think it's a very fascinating thing that it's that some of, of my tribe have have um, uh, put forward that to to do the right thing amounts to keeping the commandments, specifically one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and then that's what it boils down to. And God is painting this picture much more broadly than the Ten Commandments and uh, mm-hmm. your dietary choices. <laughs> yeah. It, it does, to a degree, equate with, if you love me, keep my commandments. But we have to remember that those commandments are far more than just the Ten Commandments. It's, yes. Uh, it's, it's loving God and loving your neighbor. And, and if you put it in the context of it's it's either me first or God first, mm. it changes everything. Because yeah. if God is first, well, then I'm not first, which makes it really a lot, lot easier to do the right thing by other people. Yeah. Yeah. It gets me thinking here, you know, the times when we have, I mean, we could put it into the context of the Ten Commandments specifically. And you, if you have a discussion with somebody about those. And somebody starts saying, well, I think, you know, I, I've heard that called uh, I, I problems. <laughs> well, I think, I think it means this, I, you know, and, and, you know, there's, there's always, we can have discussions and of course, you know, you're going to express opinions and things, but when you're using the, I thinks as the authority for, for those, uh, those things, that, that's a dangerous, I think it's a dangerous place to put yourself trying to put your interpretation in front of you know the direct ideas of of what god has laid down for us yeah and we've we've talked about some of this stuff before about like what does it mean to obey you know what is god's law so if we you know if we think of that as the ten commandments well okay fine so the first four deal with our relationship with god and the last six deal with our relationship with other people okay so take that to the new testament the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. The second commandment is that that covers your first four. The second commandment is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that covers the last six. Great, that's all ten, right? Mm-hmm. Love and love. And mm-hmm. then he says, now who are we in here, Jeremiah, one of the prophets? The rest of that verse is, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. It's down to love. Mm-hmm. Love going upward and love going outward. Yeah. Yeah, and nowhere in that ten is it talking about loving yourself. Well, it says it does. It says love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. Yeah, yeah. I think Don't it's get sort of a, that because I know a whole lot of people who have issues with loving themselves how they should. So that's like a whole. Well, that's true. Question. That's true. I was gonna say it's sort of a given that we love ourselves, but I guess that's not always the case, is it? Yeah. Anyway, but, it's yes. like it's like when when you when you boil it down to the motivating factors, it becomes such a different thing than a set of ten things that guide your behavior. It just mm-hmm. it just shifts. The whole thing shifts, and mm-hmm. it comes it comes back down to exactly what Eric says: Am I mm-hmm. first? 
or was, or was God first? Yeah, and that that love part. And if you're if you're if you're exhibiting love, there's no room for selfishness, and there's no room for blasphemy, and there's no room for idolatry. If if you're actually exhibiting the love, because you know, I mean, in some ways, you could take those. You know, they say, "What is the greatest commandment? Love God." And then, when the second is love your neighbor, you could almost boil it down to one commandment, like I think you were trying to point out there, Karen, is which would simply be a simple, a one letter or, or a one word commandment of love mm-hmm. as a yeah. as a verb. Yeah, it's and. And there's so many things uh, I'm, I'm reading in Romans also, and Paul gets fairly generous with his uh, description of sins and lawlessness. He gets pretty specific. Um, he, he calls out a lot of stuff. And okay. here in Jeremiah, we have in verse 17, but you have eyes and heart only for dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, for practicing oppression and violence. We can look at those things and we can say, oh, again, those people of judah i can't believe they would do that but we have our own versions of all of those things and if we really look at it in the context of a purely unselfish god and we measure ourselves by that standard we're not doing very well so i i think it's the it's the idea of we we just the closer and closer and closer we journey towards god the less and less we think of ourselves and the more and more we realize, yeah, I wasn't doing so hot before. This is, I was not doing so great. Um, I got a long ways to go here. And, and, and I think that's part of the part of the journey of salvation and sanctification right here. I think Jeremiah is just calling out some flat out, all out, really wrong, really bad things. And the problem is, is that really bad things done long enough. And unfortunately, also by leaders, Pashur and the king, among them in this story, the rest of the people come to think of them as like, it's really probably not that big a deal. And God has a very different opinion about that. Yeah, sort of. he's, he's talking about Josiah's three sons here. I don't know if you guys remember, we, when we read, read about Josiah here a few weeks ago, where we kind of dipped back into the kings, into mm-hmm. second kings. And it was like, after Josiah, and, and Josiah did so right by the country, and was like, what is this book? It's the book of the law. Oh, my goodness, it's the book of the law. We're doing this wrong. We should do it right, right? Mm-hmm. And so off he charges to make things right, and he tears down the high places, and he fixes up the temple, and he does all of the things that you would want a king to do. All right. Then he's got, like, one son who gets talked about in verse 11 in chapter 22. His son is only, he's only on the throne for three months, so remember, Josiah goes charging out to battle and he meets the Egyptian king. And we were like, why did he do that? <laughs> why mm-hmm. did he do that? Like Egypt is on his way to attack someplace else. And Josiah goes out and intervenes and gets killed. All right. So then his son gets on the throne. And that's the son that's talked about in verse 11. He was only on the throne for like three months. Mm-hmm. Right. He did evil. And then that same Egyptian pharaoh came and came and did away with him. And you go down to, where's the other one? Um, the second one is starts in 18. Then God expands what he's saying from the first son to the second son. Well, this son didn't, he did evil also, but he sat on the throne for 11 years. Okay. And then, and then you get down to verse 24 and he gets to talking about the third son of Josiah, 
who again had a very short, just a matter of months. I don't even, I, I don't remember exactly, but it seems like it wasn't even a year where he sat on the throne. And he's just really, and he uses these experiences of, of Judah as examples. These are like clear examples. Like here's mm-hmm. the evil that was done and here's how I felt about it. And here's what I did about it. Yeah. And these, you know, these three, these sons, they're the last. Mm. They're the last ones. Cause you have, Let's see, you've got Josiah, like you said, and then you get, as they're named in here, it's um, Shalom. Shalom. As Shalom who has. Yeah, Jehovah has. And then there was um, Jehoiakim, which I guess he was more specifically named that way. And then there was those two were Jehoiachin. Yeah, and there's Jehoiachin or Kin or however you want to say it. It's the but, son of Jehoiakim, yeah. Mm hmm. And uh, none of them do any good. None of them. I mean, mean, it's like some of them have more. God has really nothing good to say about him. Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim is going to have no one to mourn him. He'll be. This is. This was. It's like, wow, this is. uh, Like I said, nothing good to say. He's going to be buried like a donkey, which basically means he's going to be dragged out of the out of the city, taken outside and just cast out. Yep. Just just tossed out. <laughs> that's not that's not flattering at all. Mm-mm. No, but you know what's interesting is there's a, there's there's one one verse that I marked here and it's twenty one. Yes. It's, and God is saying, I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. Mm-hmm. This has been your way from your youth. And I think it's like, wow, okay, well, if in prosperity God can't get through to us, you're like, well, well, I'll just have to try something a bit more drastic. And mm-hmm. I guess my point to that is to say, uh, we, me, I need to be listening. Like, hey, I, God doesn't, he doesn't have to do everything the hard way, you know. He, he would like to to steer us before it's disaster, it's like, wow, okay, I would like to listen in in prosperity. Doesn't mean that I'm always going to be prosperous. That's not what that means. But it's kind of like, well, it's like, well, you we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way is, is another way to put that. And um, it, it, Israel and Judah said, we'll take the hard way. And it's like, well, okay, here we go. Yeah, I had marked that uh, that that verse too because it's it's very poignant. Very poignant when, uh, you know, these guys, I mean, they're the king for crying out loud. I mean, you're the king and you wouldn't listen when everything was was good for you. Something's going to have to shake you up. The last one who's mentioned here is Koniah or Jehoiachin, as he gets known in other places in the Bible. And it says that he's going to give him and his mother. It's interesting the way he singles out his mother as well. I'll give, give you and your mother to Nebuchadnezzar to die in Babylon. It's like, yeah, you and your mother. I don't know. That just uh, that, that that struck me, struck me kind of deep. Like, yeah, even your mom is going with you on this thing. And it sort of ends up here. Well, not only will you not prosper, but none of your offspring will sit on David's throne. And they won't because... Jehoiachin or Koniah is the last king of Judah. 
after this, they go into captivity with Bab- in Babylon. And and um, that's it. That's it for for Judah. And I don't think we're done talking about him. Obviously, we're, we're going to have some more things coming up. But um, just kind of kind of fascinating that that right here, God is flat out telling them this is it. This is it. You're done. You're 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 not going to have any more influence. That's it. How crazy. Yeah. Crazy when you think. You think of where it's come from, you know, how how we reading down and, you know, you go all the way back to Abraham you know, and the promise to to build up these nations. I'm going to make a great nation of you. Your offspring will be like the stars in the sky. Uh, and they frittered it, frittered it away to nothing. Not, I mean, basically. Israel comes back, but did it, you know, would it have ever looked like it did again? I don't think so. I mean, it's pretty much, in a lot of ways, I think it's unrecognizable. I mean, I remember asking once a while back when, you know, in Jesus's time, if um, if the king at the time was even a descendant of David. And no, Israel just doesn't function this way anymore after this. Well, just to throw out a little teaser for next week. Well, I don't know what we're reading, but in the very next chapter of Jeremiah, it talks about what's going to happen to the branch of David. Yeah, we will get into that. Well, I mean, that's pretty much the reading for us. It doesn't end, it doesn't end up happy. For, you know, it's always kind of a bummer to end on the on the down note, but it's where things are going, even though God has been warning them. Over and over and over to turn around and come back. And he's always been telling him, I would much rather have you turn around and come back. And the the the, the Bible's telling us that they, in essence, if not in actual reality, said, now nah, we don't want to. Well, but but if you think about it, and we were talking about this a few weeks ago, like we're we're in our own version of this now. Right. Mm-hmm. If we look ahead to the book of Revelation, we see that at some point for the end of time civilization, at some point it gets to the time when God says, let him who is filthy be filthy still. Let him who is unrighteous be unrighteous still. Let him who is righteous be righteous still. Right. That's mm-hmm. it. Like there comes a time when you can't wait anymore. Judgment's been passed. This thing is going to happen now. We're not delaying it any further. and. And we're not talking about the end of the world in Jeremiah, but we're we're kind of talking about a a huge break in Israel's position in the earth as God's chosen, you know, mm-hmm. God's chosen people. They yeah. squandered their, they squandered their chance. They turned away every opportunity. Remember the parable in the New Testament about the the owner of the vineyard who sends the messengers to see how the vineyard is doing, and the people who are working the was it the people who are working the vineyard the the owner has been away for so long they've kind of come to think of it as theirs. And so they keep killing the people that he sends. And so finally he says, well, you know, I'll send my son. Well, surely they'll respect my son. No, no, they don't respect his son either. And, you know, they use that as an illustration of exactly what we're seeing now, exactly what Jeremiah went through. It's like, I sent you the prophets. I sent you the prophets and you killed them. I sent you my son and you killed him. Like mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a point in no return on this stuff here, guys. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Mm-hmm interesting we're in a different phase of society now but we're going to hit that same thing 
Yeah, well, when we we put it into a sort of a similar perspective, we're at a time now where scripture is more readily available than at any other time. You know, you can I mean, literally, we can carry it in our back pocket on our telephones. You know, there's there's tons of free Bible apps. We have the word of God available to us at any time and we can take time to to listen to it, you know. And try to follow it or we can choose to ignore it and unfortunately the times we choose to ignore it you know it's not just a matter of a of a dusty bible in a corner now it's it's we actively or have the ability now to actively ignore the bible in ways that never never could have been ignored in the past we have no excuse anymore for saying oh, i didn't know i didn't know and just like like the people here, the 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 prophets have been saying that these things are going to happen, and and uh, even then, it's not like nobody could say they didn't know. But I think we're I think we're maybe in even a more precarious position than they were as a society, as you know, as a world full of human beings, because there's very few places in the world where God's word isn't being preached isn't being told isn't available to people yeah but all righty well no last thoughts no thoughts no thoughts i just say you know that's i think it's always important as we read these things to to make a shift from 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 what was happening then and what was happening in their time to okay how can i apply this to my life i was thinking of this we had some snow here um in the last week here in Colorado. And uh, there were a couple slippery days. And I thought of, I just glanced out the side of my window at somebody else. I was like, I looked at them like, what a dumb driver. What are they doing? And then it just struck me. It's like, what am I doing looking out the window at them? Yeah, (laughs) I need to be be watching where I'm going, or I'm going to be the one who drives over a stop sign you know (laughs) and and i think that it's tempting as we read the old testament to kind of look out the side window on the rearview mirror and like look at those dumb folks Mm -hmm. and i think the call in it to me i was just that 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 thing that happened to me this week is like man no i need to keep my eyes on the road and what can i learn from the story of judah and israel as we read it in jeremiah and apply these things to my life. And boy, I tell you, if I look at it that way, it's, oh, there's a very big slice of humble pie uh, that I have to put down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I listening? Am I paying attention? Am I yes. responding yes. properly? Yeah. All those yeah. things. If we If we take the time to ask ourselves those questions, we should be asking ourselves those questions. You know, we see if you're, if you're, praying every day and asking God for wisdom, those questions hopefully come to the forefront of your mind. How am I going to, how am I going to respond today? Am I, am I listening? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Cause it's so easy. Like it's, it's easy to, to, to point the finger, but we forget that. Yeah. No, this is you too. This is, this is talking about, this is talking about us. This is talking about me. This is talking about you got to be listening. Got to be listening. All right. 
Well, next week, I think we are going to continue in Jeremiah. We will look at chapters 23 through 26. And so we'll look at that branch of righteousness that Karen was telling us about. And uh, some looks like there's some some predictions of some things that are going to happen and some uh, precarious stuff for Jeremiah to be dealing with. So should be should be interesting, should be a great discussion. Uh, while you are reading ahead on that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. You can look for us on Facebook. And please be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family and relatives and neighbors and strangers and coworkers and everybody, everybody you can so that we can reach them as well. What did I forget? Feel like I forgot something. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> the subscribe part—that's the part I forgot. <laughs> okay. All right. That's talking to himself. That's great. <laughs> Somebody's got to listen. Hehehehe. <laughs>